1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I have been in my bed since I sent in the last episode of the podcast. I'm trying to reacclimate to this time zone as quickly as humanly possible. I've given myself two days to do absolutely nothing. Taping this podcast ends my time of nothingness. I just don't have the downtime to be down. There's so much going on. And we're going to talk about it today because I got this really disturbing. I think disturbing is the best way to say it. Disturbing email. People say like mean and evil shit to me like all the time. Like at this point, I'm just used to it. It's part of being a black woman in the public eye, which is sad, but it's true. Most stuff doesn't get more than an eh, fuck you from me. I don't even write it out anymore. Like, I just delete it and don't think much about it. But this message really bothered me. Part of me wanted to, like, lash out, but the other part of me, the growth part of me, was like, nah, you need to evaluate, like, what that sting is. So this woman left a message. The title was, Does This Still Spark Joy? And she was talking about the podcast. She was like, you know what, I really want you to live her life at a 10. I really just don't feel like her heart is in the podcast anymore. It's always late, and, you know, she's always complaining about it. So I wanted to talk about that because I think in the interest of perhaps ego, I haven't been talking about all that's been going on. I've made the mistake in prior situations where I've talked about things I was working on with great hope that they would come to fruition and they did not. It's one thing not getting something that you really want and it's its own devastating blow when it doesn't come through. It's part of the business, but that doesn't mean it's um, an enjoyable part. But then also you're just answering questions for like the next few months where people even with good intent are asking you about things because they're genuinely curious. And you just have to keep saying over and over, nope, that didn't go through. Nope, didn't get the job. Nope, didn't think I was good enough. Nope, I bombed it. Nope, it just, it, it grates. So I learned to kind of shut the fuck up about some things. And I think in doing that, it's giving a weird perception. So I just want to address a couple things if we can. And I also think it's imp- it's worth addressing because I, I I think most of my listeners are women who have like a lot going on. They've either built something or they they're building something. They're trying to expand on the things that they've built. So I don't think this will be a foreign conversation for you. I think this is um I think the details might change from my life to yours, but I think the feeling of trying to do a lot of things and trying to hit like a lot of goals, it's just It's a lot. It's overwhelming sometimes. It's frustrating. Um, It just doesn't seem like enough hours in the day. And the feeling very often is, you know, feeling like you're fucking exhausted all the time. I'm for sure frustrated by the podcast sometimes. It's a lot of work. And and keep it 100. It does get in the way of some other projects that I want to do. I can't just fully immerse in other things sometimes in the way that I need to. Because I've got to keep coming out to like produce the podcast and then tape the podcast and then edit the podcast. It's not just an easy, quick thing to, to get it right. I love the podcast. I don't always love doing the podcast. I love the producing of the podcast and I love the editing of the podcast way more than I actually like the speaking part of the podcast. Every episode, I'm just like, is this going to be any good? Are these the things people are talking about? Are these the things people are interested in? I just never know, like from week to week, like how what I'm going to say is going to be received. Is this the week I'm going to say something that I think is like terribly normal and people are going to freak out and I'm going to be canceled? Well, people give a shit. Also, I think people listen to the podcast for enjoyment, sometimes to be informed, sometimes to just spark a conversation in the group chat. But for me, it, it is a job. It's something that I started doing because I loved and then like I monetized it. And I might have done that too soon. Because when you have advertisers and a production company, it becomes more about the, the numbers than it is about the heart or the passion. I try to do my best in balancing, but I'm also mindful that I'm not trying to lose advertisers and saying some of the crazy shit that I would like to say. I don't hold back much, but there's a couple of things that I'm like, yeah, I'll skip that. Also, because it's work, I don't feel like I have to enjoy it every day. Like, do you enjoy your job every day? If you do, that's amazing. That's great. But there are days where I'm just like, I'm really excited about the podcast. Last week, talking about Jesse Williams' penis was clearly a highlight for me. But sometimes it really is just a job. I think as creators, there's the idea that everything should be passionate and exciting. And most of the time, I talk about pop culture and news and politics and films, some weeks are more exciting than others. I guess my job is to like make it all sound exciting? Maybe I'm just not that good at that. Here's the other part. I moved to LA to do scripted TV. In my heart of hearts, I'm a writer. The podcast thing was something I was like, "Oh, I'll try it out for 90 days and I'll see where it goes and what happens with it." It went in really great directions. You responded to it mostly positive. I know there are some hate listeners as well, but you know, it all counts toward the bottom line. But it took off, went from, you know, just once a week to, to twice a week. And pre-COVID, we were planning for a nationwide tour. We we're going to take it on the road to 10 to 12 cities to start. There's merchandising involved now. Like, it's become its own, like, you know, business, really, which never expected when I started this. But the podcast has taken me away from what my primary passion is. And if this isn't your, your first time listening to an episode or you follow me on social media, you know that my passion is being a writer. I've gone back and forth for years, like, trying to figure out, like, quote, unquote, what my passion is. Like, at one point, I thought it was being a relationship expert. And then it changed to travel. And then it changed to pop culture and entertainment. Then it goes to lifestyle. At the core of all of it is I'm a writer. I can write about damn near anything and do it really well. So over the holidays, when I was in Ghana, I was writing these open letters on social media to my mom called Dear Mum." And I was telling her about like my adventures in Ghana. I'd write to, I'd write them probably like every two or three days. They were really, really, really popular. And people I didn't expect started reading them. And one of those people was an executive from a network. She reached out to me via email and she said, hey, I've been reading your writing. And because I liked your writing, I went back and started listening to your podcast from the beginning. And I like you. She was like, I like your voice. I like your insight. I like the way you tell a story end, I heard you say that you wanted to be a writer. You wanted to be in a writer's room. You wanted to write for TV. How can I help you do that? Obviously, I would love to have you at my network. But she was like, also, I just want to see you win. I think you're a great storyteller and I think you have great stories to tell. And then she asked, she was like, what are you working on? What kind of stories do you want to tell? So I told her. And so she was like, that sounds amazing can you send me what you have for that? I will buy that from you. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I will send you something right away. I went on hiatus from the podcast a week and a half later. I was on hiatus from this podcast for five weeks. I don't know if people were under the impression that I was, I don't know, kicking my feet up in the sun every day. In actuality, I was probably working like 18 hour days. I was up until past sunrise, like every day. I would just go to sleep whenever I got super tired and then wake up and come back to my desk and start typing again. I put together an entire treatment for a show. That's what I spent my hiatus doing. And also writing a feature for Hollywood Reporter and the cover of Essence and the cover story that I wrote and rewrote. But the artist was not happy and my story didn't run. Still got the check, but I wanted the story to run. I didn't do it for the money. I did it because I liked to write. So the exec came back and she said, like, I love it. And we were like, okay, like, well, you know, what edits do you have? Because, you know, there's always edits. And she was like, I don't have any. What do you mean you don't have any? So she was like, here are your marching orders now. She was like, you've got me on board. She's like, you've got to find a showrunner or you've got to find like a producer and writer separate. It's like almost like a, a, a scavenger hunt to find the right people to bring this show to the network so that it can go. This sounds very simple. It is the least simple process I have ever encountered. Not that it's necessarily hard. Getting in front of the right people is not hard. Trying to like fit all these puzzle pieces together. Like there's not one way to get a TV show made. And also, I'm completely in over my head. Like I don't know what I'm doing. And it's very frustrating And I totally get that's part of the process. Like, I've been frustrated a million times before. The learning curve is frustrating. It's daunting, but it's not impossible. I'm used to, like, climbing high mountains. It's just a whole lot of things all at once when I wasn't expecting it. It's one thing if you can prepare to go through hell. It's another thing to be like, fuck, I'm in hell. Now what do I do? And I'm also frustrated that, like, (laughs) remember when I was in, like, TV writing school for, like, that year? And I was like all gung-ho. And I was like, this is why I came to L.A. I'm going to learn TV writing. I'm going to learn the process of like making a TV show. I paid really good money for those classes at a time when I was broke. And like nothing I learned in that class applies in the real world. None of it. The other thing is I keep trying to outsource the writing of the pilot. I had conversations with multiple people, some of them showrunners, some of them writers. No one will write the damn show. I have the outline for the pilot. And this is what like, I want you to come in and you to write. And everyone's like, I can't do your voice. And I was like, that's fine. You don't have to do my voice. You can do your voice because like, I can't. I have, I have all these other things on my plate. Help. And they're just like, mm. like, we can oversee it. We can edit it. We can help you structure it. We can, you know, we can help you with the themes and, and all of those things. But write it. Mm. Mm. No one will write it. They're like, you write it. I I, I've called you to, you can write it. No, you write it. I hope you write it, but you write it. So I don't know how any of this stuff is going to get done. And none of this may matter to you. Maybe you're just like, you know what, just deliver the fucking thing that I want on time in the way that I want it and sound chipper when you do it. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. I'm not a machine. I'm not. add to that. (laughs) I'm moving to another fucking country. But, you know, sounded like an amazing idea when I thought about it. And I still think it's an amazing idea. It's just sort of the real world practicalities of it all are are starting to kick in where I'm just like, you're going to move your ass across the entire Atlantic. You went and built a life that like before you had it, you would have envied it. And then you're just going to walk away from it. Demetria, some of the doubts kicking in. I'm still going to do it because it's a lifelong dream. I really asked myself, and I was like, yo, when you're like, you know, 95, and you're like on your deathbed, would you regret not going to live on the continent? If there was some compelling reason, I think it would be okay. But the idea of like, you were just too scared? Is that enough of a reason not to go like live a dream? But there's just like a lot of like things that are just starting to like pop up that I didn't think would. The last time I lived in another country, I was like, 20? I lived in London. That was an experience that changed my life. And I expect that this will be the same way. I was just there for two weeks this time. It was partially, Vita was going to be in Ghana. So I was like, okay, I'll just go hang out because I just want to be in Ghana. But it was also just a, okay, go and make sure before you you know, shut down your American life and you move overseas, just go and make double sure that this is the thing that you want to do. And it is. I didn't want to come back. I came back because I was trying to be practical, financially responsible. I was like, I could stay here for another two weeks and I'm going to spend this money. But then I'm moving here and like, I should go back and I should work on putting my affairs in order. It's because it is like daunting. The process of moving overseas, closing down a life in one country, it's not hard. It's just a lot of things that need to be put into place. A lot of logistics that need to happen. A lot of timing that needs to happen. It's more than I... Expected. I knew it was gonna be a lot, but I was just like, yo, this is a lot lot. Like when you listen to the podcast and you're like, I want her to live at a ten, like I just want people to be realistic about what a ten is. Life is a series of ups and downs. All I do is win, win, win no matter what. Um, that's a fantasy. That's that's not an actual life. Like no one wins all the time. No one's at a ten every day. So some days there are tens. I hope you don't go too many days without one. I hope if you're not hitting it a ten, at least you're on the other side of five, you're doing better than average. But realistically, like there are tens, but there are also zeros and ones and twos. That's just life. I wish those low moments and those bad things, situations we create or situations that happen to us. I wish they didn't happen, but that's just life. That's just a part of life, an unavoidable part of life, unfortunately. So I'll try to do my best with, the, uh, with getting the podcast in on time. Like I really do give like 110% to this podcast. I really do do my best to get it in on time. But sometimes like I'm just doing the most. And I'm trying to chase my dreams. I'm trying to be like the best writer I can be, whether that's TV or whether that's magazines or whether that's books. I ain't put out a book since 2014. Like, oh, you're supposed to be an author, but like, where are your books? No one's ever said that to me. It's something I say to myself. My agent doesn't even say that to me, but she is like, the manuscript. Where's the manuscript? Last due date for the manuscript was sometime in December. Clearly that didn't happen. I don't know what to write about. That's the real honest God truth. Like, I don't know what to write about. Like, what is my best? And sometimes that takes time to figure out. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to give myself grace. I try to extend it to others. I say it on here all the time, like there's grace for those that seek it. I ask that you extend it to me in the same way that I extend it to others. Thank you.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie.
1: Or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. So, do we have good black news this week? I'm lying. I'm looking at this list. We actually do have good black news. Um, but I saw Halle, I was about to call her Halle Berry. Hallie Bailey. Remember she was supposed to be Ariel in The Little Mermaid. And there was like a whole bunch of hullabaloo because she's like a black girl. And like The Little Mermaid was like a white girl with red hair. I feel like that announcement came out like two years ago maybe pre-covid or the beginning of covid but the project is still on the table. Halle Berry is Halle Berry. Halle Bailey is not a lost cause. It comes out though in 2023. And I was like, we got to wait another year? We do. We do. Mike Tyson is experiencing good news this week. Did we talk about that? When Mike Tyson beat up that man on the airplane? I think we did. You saw the video, right? I don't need to recap the video short version drunk white man antagonized sober Mike Tyson on airplane Mike Tyson in turn beat his white ass we did talk about that on here because I was thinking that Mike Tyson hasn't been in any drama in the last few years he's actually been very like zenned out introspective like he's been talking like a grown-ass man when I think of Mike Tyson right now like before this incident on the plane. It was Mike Tyson on the kissing cam with his wife. They were at some game and he kissed her on the camera. And then he got like all silly and started blushing and laughing. Like he was giggling. Mike Tyson, he's caused himself a lot of pain in life. But a lot of things also happened to him that were painful. Like I just said, life's ups, life's downs. Like it's it's part of life. So I was happy to see like a giggling Mike Tyson. He seems to be in a a much different place than he was as a... A man in his 20s and 30s, which he should be. If you're 50 still doing and thinking as you did in your 20s and 30s, you've wasted 20 years of your life. But the good news is that Mike Tyson beat that man's ass. That's not the good news. That's just a a statement of fact. Mike Tyson beat that white man's ass. On the plane. He like got up over the seat. Like he turned around in his seat and beat the white man sitting in his seat. I speculated that was like, did he call him the N-word? That's some shit that may or may not trigger a black person there are black people who are just like, I don't give a fuck, call him whatever you want, like, fuck you. And there are also black people who are just like, now I got to beat your ass. I thought that's what it was. Mike Tyson's people said that's not what it was. They said the man was just antagonizing him. But there will be no charges for Mike Tyson in the airplane situation, which is shocking to me. Mike Tyson, with his lethal weapon hands, beat your ass. He beat that band's ass in the face. He fucked his face up. I was, I was like, I knew that was about to be a payday, but it actually could be now that I'm saying that out loud because no criminal charges does not mean no civil suit. So actually, that story is probably not over. Well, no criminal charges. I mean, his ass ain't going back to jail. That's 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 a blessing. Speaking of charges, Dave Chappelle wants felony charges for the guy that um, tackled him on stage at the concert a couple weeks ago. I read. In multiple news outlets, that the guy who attacked Dave Chappelle had a fake gun that had a knife attached to it. But apparently, the knife was not deployed. Is deployed the right word? The knife was not out. The guy is being charged, but it's a bunch of misdemeanors. So, the guy was being charged with misdemeanor battery, misdemeanor possession of a deadly weapon with intent to assault, and two violations related to storming the stage and interfering with a performance i'm reading this on the route the guy who attacked dave pled not guilty i was like my dude it's on camera the camera is far and the picture is grainy but there is no question whether you ran on stage and tackled a man not guilty i'm sure it's what his lawyer told him to say but really that you trying to go to trial with this shit i was like it's a bunch of misdemeanors sir we all saw you do it so dave was not injured at best he was startled they also did beat that man's ass. So justice, in a sense, has been served for what the man did. But Dave's asking for felony charges. He says he's asking the DA to correct this mistake. The mistake being charging this man with, with a series of misdemeanors. He says entertainers in Los Angeles need to know that the justice system will protect them on stage. Which I think is true. I mean, I get like the, the man didn't like engage with the weapon. But I don't know. I think like running on stage and like tackling someone, there's got to be something for that. If a slap is considered violent, it's considered assault. I don't understand how literally like running into someone, like the man like leaped into him, like full tackle and knocked him over. Like, is that not more violent than a slap? I'm not the damn DA. I'm asking. That strikes me as more violent. No? And white people fucking up news. Tucker Carlson, who I I don't really expect much more from. He's a Fox host. This is pretty on on message for him, on brand. But we spoke last week about Corinne Jean-Pierre, who is the new White House press secretary. She's the first black woman. She's the first LGBTQ woman, um, first Haitian American woman. So Tucker Carlson wrote this op-ed. I'm reading this on the route. It doesn't say where he published the op-ed. But in short, he called her an affirmative action hire. He also went on to say that Kamala Harris and Kentonji Brown Jackson were all affirmative action hires as well. He says the rules have become altered under the Biden administration and the women I just listed. They were picked for the role because they satisfy a Democratic diversity quota and nothing else. He says it's really simple for them, quote, show us your picture and we'll tell you if you're qualified for the job. (sighs) White people like this are exhausting. Ketanji Brown Jackson, the new Supreme Court justice, who's, who's not even on the bench yet, is the first black woman to be a Supreme Court justice. Like the idea that it's not possible that she could be extremely qualified, which if you remember when she was up for um, the nomination hearings, there were all these charts circulating that had a list of the necessary qualifications for the Supreme Court justice. And she was more qualified than several people on the court combined. She's probably one of, if not the most qualified person for the job to ever sit on the bench. Every item that was listed as necessary to be a Supreme Court justice, she had checked and had multiple years of experience you might even say she's overqualified in comparison to the qualifications of other people that have been put on the court before her. Kamala Harris, another person who is uniquely and profoundly super qualified for her job, given her resume. The idea that these are affirmative action hires is it's laughable. These are positions that have been held by white people for literally 100 years. Like You don't think that Anybody not white in all of those years was possibly qualified to do the job. And now that a black person, black women specifically, are in these roles after, again, 100 plus years, definitely 100 plus for VP and Supreme Court. Has there been a White House secretary for 100 years? However long it's been, there's never been a black woman in the role. But for like all these years, all these people, all these white people We finally get a black person, a black woman, again, and it's not possible. It's just not possible whatsoever at all that a black person can be qualified for the job. The only reason they were hired, it must be because they're black. It's not at all possible that they were like the best, most qualified person available. Not not even fathomable. But all those white people, their whiteness wasn't a large part of the reason they got hired. Their white waspness is that white Anglo-Saxon Protestant male. I was reading something the other day. Please go look this up because I'm not going to Google it right now. When Justice Brown Jackson was up for nominations, I was reading about like the history of the nomination process for the Supreme Court. And the whole thing began because a Jewish man was nominated to the Supreme Court. And Congress was like, oh, no, oh, no, no, we must vet him. We can't just put like a Jewish person up there. Are you crazy? You know what? I think it is worth looking up. Hold on. Nomination, Supreme Court, Jewish. Yes, his name was Louis Brandis. Brandeis. Until, I'm reading this on the Washington Post. Until 1916, Congress didn't conduct public hearings on Supreme Court nominations. That changed when President Woodrow Wilson nominated Boston lawyer Louis D. Brandis, B-R-A-N-D-E-I-S, you know I can't pronounce it, to be the high court's first Jewish judge. The reason that they began them is because the Senate said the 59-year-old lawyer was a controversial liberal who might lack, quote, judicial temperament. It says, but anti-Semitism was an uneasy undercurrent in the debate. It said the Senate hearings were very contentious, much like the recent confirmation hearings of Judge Kentonji Brown Jackson. The Post also notes, but unlike Jackson... That guy didn't have to face a barrage of questions because he wasn't present at the hearings. Final note, the hearings lasted four fucking months. <sighs> oh, this isn't even a deep sigh. I'm deep sighing over this, but it's not a deep sigh. The New York Times had an interesting story on BBLs. The cover of this story is a, a black woman with a very large ass And she's wearing one of those. I always call it a fupa. It's not a fupa. What is the thing called? A binder? Faja. Faja. Is that what it's called? A faja? A waist trainer-like garment. I'm reading this in the Times. A waist trainer-like garment worn to compress the midsection and lift the buttocks. I think it's called a faja. Faja? Faja. Faja. I have no clue. Um, The images in this story are probably more disturbing than the story. But the title of the story is, Butt Lifts Are Booming. Healing is no joke, and so the story is about the post surgical recovery houses. Apparently, getting the surgery, which I had no idea, I thought BBLs cost way, way more. Apparently, the prices dropped like dramatically. so in Miami, you can get a BBL for around six thousand dollars from a respected surgeon. so you get the surgery, and that's one fee, and then you usually need about two weeks to recover. It's a very painful process. And you need someone to help you um, basically nurse you back to health. And if you do that at a inpatient facility connected to the doctors, it can be very expensive. So women are choosing these post-surgical recovery houses. I have a couple friends that have gotten BBLs um, out of the country, usually in Mexico or Colombia. And they had really good private care. These are also two of my friends that make a nice amount of money. It's also cheaper in Colombia and Mexico for a variety of reasons. They were able to get very good private personal care for less than they would get in the States as well. So the article spends a lot of time talking about the logistics of the houses. That's probably the least interesting part of the article to me. Again, it's the pictures. I fully understood that A BBL is a major surgery. It's also a very risky surgery. But in these pictures, the women are in their undergarments. And it's not lost on me that in most of them, they are stained with blood because the women are leaking. Which makes sense because, again, it's a surgery, a major surgery. But it's just like, I don't think I fully understood the level of pain, blood, This looks so painful. This picture that I'm looking at right now, there's a woman. She had a BBL as well as liposuction on her arms, abdominal area, flanks, and back. And she's kneeling and leaned over on this bed. So imagine the position that you would pray by your bedside in and then flop the top of your body over on the bed. She's wearing this nude compression garment and there is just a massive amount of blood that's leaked through onto the garment. And then you can see probably the incision points of where they went in to like puff up her ass. You can see large blood stains on each side of her buttock thigh as well. That's a that's a lot of pain for beauty. The New York Times notes that in 2021, there were 61,387 butt augmentations in the United States. This is according to the Aesthetic Society, a professional organization and advocacy group for board board certified plastic surgeons. One of the women, they actually have her face. She's 33. She traveled from Brooklyn. Oh, no, this is the same woman. This is the same woman who was bent over in the last picture with all the blood that I just described. She said of, of getting her BBL, she said, don't do it. When recalling the pain she had after surgery, she said, quote, when the pain came back yesterday, I was like, I want my old body back. I want it back all the women that are featured in this article are black women. Black women are not the only people getting BBLs. You can walk around any part of LA on any given day and and see the number of of non-black women who who have BBL. I'm not as much interested in, in the recovery of women getting BBLs as to why so many people are getting them. They're showing this other woman like all the bruising on her body like, my god. But her stomach is tight though. She's a 25-year-old nurse's assistant who lives in Detroit. She said she got the surgery because she wants to open a beauty bar, and she thought her new body would help her succeed. She says, quote, in the world that we live in, that is the look, especially if you have certain goals and aspirations for yourself. She said the first day post-surgery, she said it was terrible. She talked about the pain during a massage. She said the health aide massaging her told her, you're doing good. You didn't pass out. You didn't cry. So I guess that's the standard. There's another woman. She's 24. She had lipo 360 to remove fat from all areas of her midsection. And she also had a BBL last year. She said before the surgery, she made the doctor promise that she would make it back home to her 10-month-old. She said when she woke up from the anesthesia, she recalled saying, thank you, God, loudly over and over. The clinic staff asked her to silence her praise because she was scaring patients in the waiting room. You're this afraid to die. You have a 10-month-old kid. You're 24 years old. And you're spending $5,000, $6,000 on an unnecessary surgery. There was another interesting uh, quote in here. And there was, and actually, it was about the reasons that the women do the surgery. Okay, here we go. So the writer observed, she says, Many of the women I spoke to felt like they needed to achieve this look before they could feel fully confident or get alone or start a business. Confident, I understand in context, because um, where we are with our expectations of, of women's beauty is beyond. I get that. The idea that you need to have a BBL to get a loan or start a business, like a bank loan officer is considering your the size of your waist and the size of your ass to get a loan. I imagine all these people do not have 5000 or $7,500 to spare. I imagine that some of this is on some sort of payment plan. I would think that this would interfere with you getting a loan or these or this kind of financial investment could be better served for your business. Huh? We're doing a number on women right now. I want to explore that further and I'm not sure how. This article is in New York Times. It's a feature. Actually, it's in the New York Times Magazine, just for clarification. I think I said New York Times earlier, but it's in the magazine. Um, it's written by Sandra E. Garcia. You got to see these images. If you thought about having a BBL, I think this is something worth worth reading and definitely seeing the pictures. I think it might give folks pause. I'd, I'd rather go to the gym, to be quite honest. Looking at this woman in this this nude compression garment and all the blood leaking out, like it's Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. The price we pay for beauty, man. Or is it the price we're paying for beauty or is it the price we're paying for acceptance? Is it the price we're paying for acceptance or is it the price women are paying to feel loved? Potential to be loved. I don't know. That's something worth uh, further exploration. So that is the episode for this week. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week. I'll try to be on time. Again, it's not intentional. It's just got a lot of shit going on. I'm doing my best. And you know what? I'm also, let me say this. I was trying to avoid saying it. I'm giving you my best. If my best is not good enough for you, that's fine with me. Go find what works for you. Life is short. Um, do not waste it on me. If I am not the lid for your pot, if ever I was, if I am no longer, go find a lid for your pot. I do not want you sitting here suffering through me if, if if I don't do it for you. Go find what does. I know I don't always knock it out the park, but I really give my best with every episode, and that's it. I give my best. It ain't always the best, but it's my best. All right, we will talk next week. If you've not picked up your merch for Ratchet and Respectable, please do. It's DemetriaLLucas.com. We have tees for mostly everything. We have the Ratchet and Respectable tees. We still have some Don't Waste Your Pretty tees. Those are running low. I'm not restocking those. But everything else, Cut the Check, Interested Men, Act Interested, Ratchet and Respectable. I think we're good on sizes for all of those. So if you're interested in a tee, there is one available for you. I'm about to go edit this and then I'm gonna get back into bed and we will speak again next week. Have a great weekend. Okay, bye.